0: 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we will continue in our study, you need to know this, on many occasions. I will hear from folks and they will say something like this. You know what? You remind me of your dad. You know what? You sound just like your dad. Sometimes people will even say, when you look that particular way, that was just like your dad. Let me tell you, I don't mind. I don't mind. Yeah, My fingers, I did not, some of you know my dad had very crooked pinkies and forefingers, if you will, skipped me uh, um, just slightly, ever so slightly. But some of us have that. Yeah. He used to love to put it on an overhead. That was his signature move. Yeah. You know what an overhead is? Anyone? Yeah. 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 I get it. Right. Yes. Yes. We are continuing this evening in our series on. How to avoid spiritual frostbite in 2024. How to avoid spiritual frostbite in 2024. And last night we looked together at a warning in Hebrews chapter 5. A warning about those who were heavy in the ears. They were dull of hearing. And they were not redeeming the time that God gave them by spending it in the Word. And so the warning tells us that we need to be sure to consider time plus truth multiplied by practice, practice, practice equals spiritual maturity. We saw the fruit, the benefit, the blessing of doing life God's way and obey. We can dine on solid food. We would be at home with the word of righteousness and our senses would be trained to tell the difference between good and evil. That was our case study last night of someone who was spiritually frostbit, specifically being dull of hearing and the way in which the pattern we see that that condition could be changed. We've begun looking at the life and times of King Uzziah. The life and times of King Uzziah, and I hope you have, I hope you've been reminded or that you have learned something new about King Uzziah or Azariah, his personal name and what those names meant. What does Uzziah mean? Can you tell me? I forget. Yahweh is strong. strong. What does Azariah mean? Yahweh. Yahweh helps or Yahweh has helped. And we see this pattern. Did you see the pattern in the upbringing of King Uzziah? He was 16 and we were made aware of the fact that there were influencers in his life who said do life God's way. It's the best way. So obey. Do what is right That's a word that we even struggle to use in our day and age, the word right, because we live in a culture that doesn't embrace such a concept of absolute truth. And so even using the expression, doing life God's way is the best way, so obey, doing right, he did right in verse 4, there would be pushback today. In regards to who says it's right. And yet we see this pattern. And I hope you've seen it. Where he had parents. Who said. Do what God says. Do it God's way. He had influencers. This individual named Zachariah. Who had the vision of God. Not any of the Zecharias we know about. The popular ones. But yet another influencer. And so we saw and we see. This emphasis on doing right. Verse four, he continued to seek God doing rights, following the pattern, obeying, adhering great Shema like of Deuteronomy six, being told that we should love God with all that we are and all that we have the standard that we are to follow. Verse five, he continued to seek God obeying, but not just obeying, but trusting God and in his way and in his instruction and guidance. And so moms and dads, grandparents, individuals, we have such a great example, a pattern, a reminder of what Uzziah's parents taught him and other influencers in Uzziah's life taught him and how he was influenced. And we desperately need a return to this obedience to following after abiding by doing what is right according to the word of God we see in verse 6 and by way of just reminder we'll pick up there we see this description of what life looked like for him in his years of reign his grand success the first half of chapter 26 how he was successful, how he prospered, as he did, verse 4, what was right, as he, verse 5, continued to seek God, as long as he sought the Lord, end of verse 5. And so be reminded of his successes. And let me give you uh, just a word of encouragement and some homework at 10 minutes after the hour. Here's your encouragement. I know we just ate a lovely meal. That was perfect. Just delicious. What a great uh, decision and consideration. Very, very yummy and appropriate, and thank you. I recognize that as a result, you now may want to slumber, right? It's, there's a tendency. Amen. Some of us don't, amen, Dennis, right? Some of us don't even need a meal to want to do that. But the combo, are you kidding me? So I just want to simply say, if you need to do so, feel free to do so. No judgment. No judgment. Dr. Jack Fish used to teach us at Emas Bible College. And if we, if we were dozing or distracted or falling asleep, he would take an eraser. You know what an eraser is? Old school black eraser. He would take an eraser and he would throw it at us. I have no erasers. So if you need to sleep, uh, feel free to do so. Bearing in mind that God knows. And that he sees and that he examines your heart's attitude before him. So if you need to sleep, sleep. Here's your homework. I'm going to ask you to turn it in verbally in about uh, 40 minutes or so. What stands out to you from the life of King Uzziah? I know that you haven't been studying 2nd Chronicles chapter 26 of late. Maybe some of you want to say, yes, I have. I've memorized it. Maybe that's true. This is an incredible chapter with a lot for us to glean and hold on to. So I want to ask you, and if you don't want to say a word, you don't have to. If you don't want to do this homework, that's just fine. But if you're interested, grab a hold of a phrase, a thought, a consideration, and feel free to express that to someone on the planet so they could be encouraged as well. Verse 6 through 15. Here's how things went for him, as he did what we saw in 4 and 5. Now he went out and warred. Notice the verbs describing what he did all throughout these verses. He went out and warred against the Philistines, broke down the walls of Gath, and the walls of Jabneh, and the wall of Ashdod. And he built cities in the area of Ashdod among the Philistines. And God helped him. Love that use of his name. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbaal and the Mayunites and the Ammonites. He also gave tribute to Uzziah and his fame extended to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. We left off there and we see the word moreover. And so this is one of those stories. And maybe, you know, people like this that just have the the Midas touch. Whatever they set their mind to, they can just do it in a renaissance-like manner and way. And so notice, and you can do it on your own, notice the categories of life that Uzziah just had gained. Categories of life where because Yahweh is strong, because Yahweh helps, he was prosperous and successful militarily socially, financially, and the list goes on. And I am not suggesting, I'll say it again, I'm not preaching, I'm not teaching prosperity theology. I am not. And we don't find support for that in Scripture. But we do find the God of the universe, the one who is the maker-creator that has a plan and a purpose and promises And there's direct correlation to satisfaction, meaning to life, purpose and fulfillment when we just do it his way. And without apology, I'm saying that. And with that comes all kinds of heartache and all kinds of struggle. And we're supposed to exult Or exalt, uh, both are used depending on translation. Romans chapter five, exalt in hope, but also exalt in what? Difficulty, trial as we trust the process. And so there's a plan, uh, behind it all. And we can, we can trust in that for every detail. And we'll see more. Nine, verse nine. Moreover, there's that word. There's, and there's more. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the corner buttress and fortified them. Would you please for a moment imagine what life was like for the children of Israel? Imagine what it was like to be part of God's people when Uzziah was ruling and reigning this way. Think about the comfort. Think about the security. Think about the, uh, the, the strength and think about what life looked like under the reign of King Uzziah. For those who were part of the, uh, the kingdom, the children of Israel. Here we have this, these fortified cities, the security that is found therein. Verse 10 and he built towers in the wilderness see how things are expanding he built towers in the wilderness and hewned many cisterns what do you see him now dabbling in getting into here he gets into farm life right he hewned many cisterns and had much livestock uh, i live uh, in the state of iowa where we have more pigs than people. And we don't mind that. This farming community, this agricultural environment, these fields and fields where production takes place, it's beautiful to see. And Uzziah was involved in that too. For he had much livestock livestock both in the lowland and in the plain. Guess what also he had? People working for him. He had plowmen and vine dressers in the hill country and the forder in uh, the fertile fields for he loved the soil. I've learned something the last few times that I've been here visiting and had a chance to visit uh with Abe and Joyce, they enjoyed they enjoy gardening. Did you know that? They enjoy gardening and all the beauties of uh, of such, and even the reality of being under the curse—weeds and thorns. I'm just kidding about that, but they enjoy gardening. They enjoy the reality of seeing growth, and we see that in the life of King Uzziah, for he loved the soil. Are you kidding me? This guy had it all and he did it all. He's successful in this area, in this area, in this area. Not only that, he's a great farmer and he has vineyards and he loves the soil. Loves to get his hands dirty. Understands the reality of working hard and had people working for him. Guess what word we see in verse 11? Moreover, there's more. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle. What does his name mean again? (laughs) Yahweh Yahweh is strong. But what's happening with him? He's getting stronger and stronger. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle. You ever play against an opponent and you know that there is no way. We're going to be victorious. You ever have that, uh, that situation? I said, I said my son plays basketball. There are times when he goes against a team and I know that we, we've shown up, but that's about all that's going to happen, right? Uzziah's reality was that he was so strong and had a mighty army ready for battle which entered combat by divisions according to their number of their muster prepared by Jel, the scribe, and Maseah, the official, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officers. You want to talk numbers? Let's talk numbers. The total number of the heads of the households of, listen to this description, If I was a warrior, I would want to be described this way. A valiant warrior. Listen to this. The total number of the heads of the households of valiant warriors was 2,600. 2,600 valiant warriors. Let's talk numbers. And under their direction was an elite army of 307,500. And these folks could bring it. Who could wage war with great power to help the king against the enemy. Incredible, right? Power and strength continued to be acquired and he continued to gain. Guess what happens in verse 14? Moreover, There it is again. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army shields. What do we see happening in the life of King Uzziah here? He is creating. He is entrepreneurial. He is making. Unbelievable. Moreover, Uzziah prepared for all the army shields and spears, helmets, helmets. Body armor, bows, and sling stones. Verse fifteen happens to be the end of the, chat, uh, the end of this section, the end of his triumph. And I want you to see the summary. I want you to see how his life, and his rule, and his reign thus far can be summarized having success in all these different areas. Here's what it says in verse 15. And in Jerusalem, he made engines of war. Here we go again. Entrepreneurial in industry. And in Jerusalem, he made engines of war invented by skillful men to be on the towers and on the corners for the purpose of shooting arrows and great, great stones. He continued to progress more over, more over, to the extent that, as this section concludes, he's inventing more and more to be stronger and stronger militarily, agriculturally, industrially, socially, financially. The list goes on and on and on. Hence, I like that word. Hence, hither unto, as a result, listen to what it says. Hence, his fame spread afar. I just want to ask you uh, here before we look at this unbelievable summation of his life. What would be going on in your mind if you were Uzziah? If this is how it went for you for decade after decade. What would be your mindset? What would be your perspective? What would you think about yourself at this point in time? Would you be remembering your names and what they meant? Yahweh is strong. Yahweh is my strength. Yahweh helps. Yahweh has helped. Or would something else be going on through your mind and heart? Notice how verse 15 concludes. Hence, his fame spread afar, for he was marvelously helped. In our local church, we're going through 1 Peter. I had the privilege of uh, bringing a bit of an overview and introduction to that series. And we looked at numerous themes that can be seen throughout 1 Peter, but one of which we see in the end of the book, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, 12 and 13-ish, where it says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This idea of grace there and often is the idea behind Paul's greetings and Peter's greetings when they say grace and peace is far more than just saying hello to the Gentiles and to the Jews. It's far more than just a typical greeting. And the idea of grace, surely in regards to salvation, has everything to do with what we have learned the word grace means unmerited or undeserved favor. That's what it means salvifically when we think about for by grace. You have been saved through faith. But that's not all Paul had in mind and Peter had in mind when they would use the greeting grace. It also conveys this idea. And this is a big theme of first Peter. It's in every chapter numerous times. Notice how much the word grace is used. And at the end, here is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. It conveys this idea of divine enabling. Divine enabling. I mentioned there's a phrase that we embrace throughout seasons of difficulty. Ten, God's tender mercy and sustaining grace. Grace not only conmer- conveys unmerited, undeserved favor, it also conveys sustaining grace. Divine enabling. You know what that means? Simply stated, God's help. <laughs> I love that. God's help. This is the reality of God's help. Stand firm in the divine help that comes from God. Not that we are adequate in and of ourselves to think of anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Not that we are sufficient in and of ourselves to think of anything as coming from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God. That's how we concluded last session. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 3 5? The end of the triumph of King Uzziah is summarized this way He was marvelously helped. Can you pause and think of time after time that you've been marvelously helped? Marvelously helped from Yahweh who is strong. From Yahweh who is our help. For he was marvelously helped, watch this and don't miss it, until he was strong. Did you notice that taking place? He's getting stronger and he's getting stronger. Moreover, 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 in every arena an aspect of life. And somewhere along the way, he lost sight of how he was raised. Somewhere along the way, he forgot to do right in the sight of the Lord. Somewhere along the way, he stopped seeking God. Somewhere along the way, he got spiritually frostbit. It happened to King Uzziah. It can happen to us. I had a professor named several, but one I'm making reference to now, named Dr. Tom Constable. Maybe you're familiar with soniclight.com. If you're not, you need to be. One of the best resources for commentary on all of the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 4, there are virtues that describe how the church ought to look and how believers ought to be, and one of those virtues is humility. And I remember Dr. Constable teaching us a definition of the word humility. And humility, you'll probably see it in his notes there in Ephesians 4 on Sonic Sonic Light, Sonic com. Humility is this understanding accurately, understanding accurately our person, who we are. And our purpose, what we are to be and do, and our place in God's program. Understanding who we are, our person, understanding our purpose, and understanding our place in God's program. This idea of humility, not overestimating who we are and not underestimating who we are but viewing ourselves accurately and appropriately in light of how God has made us and blessed us and gifted us wired us created us my dad's been mentioned once or twice and that will continue i remember dad saying to me this john you need to remember this in ministry you're never as good as anybody says <laughs> There it is. That's so helpful, right? You've heard me say that. You're never as good as anybody says. But you know what also is true? You're never as bad. It was a great reminder. It's easy to say, oh, thanks. You're never as good as anybody says. But you're never as bad. It's important to understand accurately who we are and why it is that we are that way in the first place. Uzziah was marvelously helped by God until he was strong. We have the rest of the chapter. Notice how it concludes. Verse 17, 16 rather. We see this shift. But when he became strong, and how did he get there, by the way? He was marvelously helped. God helped him. He became very strong, but when he became very strong, unbelievable how his names are used in this life and times uh, account. But when he became very strong, something happened in his heart. His heart was so proud. His heart was so proud. He wrongly viewed himself. Humility, understanding our person in place. Uh, in God's plan and program. Humility. In his heart, he became proud. In his heart, he was so proud that action occurred. Do you notice that it's a a mindset? And when the phrase in his heart, it doesn't mean he was just all caught up with emotion. Uh, that's the way, especially in the Old Testament, uh, that the summary... Uh, mindset or perspective is used to describe a a person and so here he is thinking about himself in his heart he was so proud that action occurred thought and then action i've said to you before and i've said to my kids a lot and those that i minister we have to minister to we have to think right in order to live right it's in that order And here he's thinking incorrectly about himself. And as a result, acting corruptly. There's a direct correlation. Thinking right, living right. He was thinking incorrectly. He thought the strength was in him. His heart was so proud that he acted. There's the action. He acted corruptly. We see him acting corruptly, and we see him acting in a way that is described as unfaithfulness. Do you notice that that word? Notice how he was brought up. Notice what he was told to do. He did right, verse four. He continued to seek, verse five. As long as he sought, end of verse five. Here he has God's plan. Here he has God's instruction. Here he has God's way. And he is unfaithful to that. He's so proud in his heart. Have you ever been at this place in your life? You're so proud in your heart. You have such an elevated, overestimated view of yourself that you conclude, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. I can do it my way. I can do it my way, and I don't care what anybody says, including God. You ever been there? Let me say this to you. It's a miserable place to be, to have such an over-elevated, and overestimated opinion of yourself that you think you can do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. Regardless of what God says, he acted corruptly, and as a result, he was unfaithful to such an extreme moreover extent. Notice what happened, and notice how far absolutely gone he is at this point and at this place i 'd suggest to you this: this frostbit condition did not take place overnight. That there was this reality of slowly and progressively, as he became more and more strong, he became less and less dependent upon the one who is strong and upon the one who helps. So he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his god that's a loaded statement here's my god here's the lord here's yahweh who is strong yahweh who is help has helped and i because of the wrong mindset and perspective of myself i will be unfaithful to the one who has provided me strength and help all along can you imagine and that is the reality of sin and the reality of sin and how we want to do life our way. And Uzziah is so proud in his heart that he thinks and acts corruptly and is unfaithful. And he does something he knows he should never do. He does something that he has seen others do who are the appointed the consecrated the chosen ones who are the only ones allowed to do this he knows that others did this he knows what it means to worship and to have others involved in that process whom God has purposed and sanctified and designed for them to be the priests and notice what happens He is not satisfied with all that he has been blessed with. And he wants more. He wants to be king and priest. And he thinks for some reason he deserves it. Even though he knows it goes contrary against God's plan and purpose and promise. So he acts corruptly. And he's unfaithful and he enters the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. He knew he knew that was not for him to do. He knew that was not God's way. He knew that that was not right. He knew that was demonstrating unfaithfulness. But listen to me. He did not care. Have you ever been there? Do you know people now who are there who just have been brought up in a similar way, but at this point have the wrong understanding of who they are, their person, their place in God's plan and God's program, and are not embracing the reality of humility, but rather are eat up with the, the concept of pride and arrogance and ego? We sang, I was at camp with some of you at a conference this week, and we sang on several occasions an old song that took me back to the day. I'm sure you all know it. We sang Micah 6.8. It's a great song. It's a great verse. great song based upon a great verse. He has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord desires of thee. What is that, by the way? But to do justly. What does that mean? It's doing the right thing. But as you're doing the right thing, based upon what God has said, but to do justly and to love what? Mercy. Mercy. That keeps you humble, right? Here's the right thing. Here's what you're supposed to do, but to do justly. But as you're doing it, you don't have the wrong perspective of yourself. So you you embrace and love this idea of mercy, but to do justly. And to love mercy. And what? And to walk humbly with thy God. Our family, G-Force, I often say to the kids, I said it this week from afar, I text it to them. Micah 6 eight it. And they know exactly what that means. You're, you're going to school today. No dad's praying for you. And I want to encourage you to do the right thing. But don't get cocky and don't be so proud and arrogant to say, look at me, I'm doing the right thing. You be merciful with people at the same time. Love mercy. And as you're doing the right thing and as you're loving mercy, walk humbly with thy God. Uzziah is the epitome of pride, arrogance and ego. And so he goes to a place he should never go to do something he should never do. And some people try to stop him. Have you ever been there? Let me ask you this. What did it take back in the day when you were eat up with pride, just like Uzziah was in this account? What did it take for God to capture your attention and for you to say and acknowledge, you know what? I am so full of pride and I have been so self-absorbed. And I just want you to know I'm incredibly sorry. What did it take? What will it take? What does it take for you to simply check yourself and surrender all? Notice what happens. This proud individual acts corruptly, unfaithfully, and goes into the temple where he should not go to do something he should never think about doing. It was not for him. And not one But 81 individuals went in after him. Can you imagine? Would you please imagine that? Here you go, full of pride and full of arrogance and full of ego, viewing yourself incorrectly, even though you know better. You've been brought up differently. You know what is right according to God's plan. And you know how when you continue to seek him, you have the abundant, blessed life blessed life he offers and he alone offers you know better and yet because you think you're something that you've arrived in your god's gift that you do whatever you want whenever you want however you want regardless and people try to help you and people try to bring it to your attention and yet you will not listen azariah Verse 17, the priest entered after him and with him 80 priests of the Lord. What kind of men? There's that word again. No joke. Valiant men. Eighty-one people. Can you imagine being confronted by 81 people? You think that would work? You think that would be enough? You think 81 people who sincerely and genuinely care about you and your well-being in every respect and understand what you have brought as you have been ruling and reigning according to God's way, 81 people come in and say, no, you don't. No, you don't. Look at what it says in verse 18. And they opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. But for the priests, the sons of Aaron who are consecrated to burn incense. Did Uzziah know that, do you think? He knew that. Did Uzziah need to be reminded of that? He needed that reminder. Did it make any difference in the prideful heart of Uzziah? Not a bit. Sobering, isn't it? He was so far gone because of his pride. Arrogance and ego. And what is that ultimately, friends? That's sin. It is not for you, verse 18, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Do you see again God's purpose, God's plan, God's promises? Uzziah, I have plans for you. Do life my way and obey and, and realize what life will look like doesn't mean prosperity in the way in which our world describes it. I'll say again. But God's got a plan and purpose and promise. I also have plans for the priests, Uzziah. And they're set apart, consecrated, qualified by me divinely to enter in and act accordingly. And it's not for you. So just get over you and you do you and let them do them. And that's all part of my plan. He knew it. And these 81 said this to him. Get out of the sanctuary, would you please? Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord. Notice what we see in the end of verse 18. Again, the pattern faithfulness. What results? Honor. But unfaithfulness, they say, listen to him. We know how God is. And please do not be unfaithful because... God will not honor your unfaithfulness. What did Uzziah have opportunity to do right now? End of verse 18. He could have repented. He could have said, you know what, fellas, thanks for the reminder. All 81 of you, you've captured my attention. You 80 valiant men and and Azariah, I like your name. Thanks for the reminder. Thanks for bringing this to my attention. I can't even believe it. I, I am so sorry. I'm guilty and you're right. I used to watch a television program back in the day. Maybe you've seen reruns or you've heard of it entitled Happy Days. Anybody remember Happy Days? Arthur Fonzarelli, Pinky Tuscadero, Happy Days. Remember Happy Days? Sunday Monday yes it was classic there was a time when arthur fonzarelli otherwise known as the the fons thanks for coming he would often look at himself in the mirror self absorbed thinking he has to comb his hair and then realizing it's perfect and he would he would express it by saying a hey. but every now and again a particular episode he had to practice saying a word that's hard to say. He'd look in the mirror and he would try to say I'm I'm sorry. I'm 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 wrong. Is it hard for you to say those things? To acknowledge that you have failed, that you have sinned, that you have done things your way instead of God's way, there are more occasions than I care to admit that I need to go up to my wife, Katie, and say, Listen, I'm sorry. I was wrong. And guys, let me just say this to you. When you go to apologize because you are wrong, don't do this. I'm wrong, but I want to explain why I did what I did. I want to I want to say that I'm wrong but I actually that does not make sense, fellas. Let me just be honest with you. When you're wrong, you know what's helpful? Just to flat out own it unconditionally. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Uzziah could have said it and it would saved him, it would have saved him a tragic ending. Some of us this week looked at the story of Cain and Abel. Read it before you go to bed tonight. Genesis chapter 4. Count how many times Cain had the occasion to say, You know what, God? Your way is the best way. I'll do things your way. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Please forgive me. How many times... Became had have the occasion to say that. Even after he killed his brother, he could have. But he was so proud, prideful, so prideful in his heart. Sin was crouching to own his life, it says. The same thing happened to Uzziah. I wish uh, 18 would continue further and said, and he repented. And he came to his senses. And he apologized to God and to the priest and to the people. That's not how it ends. Because of pride. Notice what it says. But Uzziah, verse 19, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. I talked to a friend about this verse this week. And he thought and speculated and wondered, was he enraged and took the scepter because he wanted to hit the 81 individuals doesn't say that. And so don't walk away thinking that's why he was, that's what he was going to do. Likely he was going to go about doing what he wasn't supposed to do and took the device for doing so. But he was flat ticked off, mad, enraged, owned by sinful pride and enraged at 81 people that were trying to do what is best for him. So far gone having forgot, forgotten that Yahweh is strong and Yahweh helps. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead. Did you know that? That's probably the main thing we remember. In the year of King Uzziah's death. Oh, isn't he the leprosy guy? Here we have leprosy breaking out on his forehead. But Uzziah, with the center in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. And while he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord, beside the altar of the Lord. Everybody knew it at this point, including Uzziah. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there, and he himself also hastened. Can you imagine the mass exodus of these 81? Having an individual who has been struck with leprosy, Because of ultimately his spiritually frostbit condition. And they all hurry out, hasten to get out because the Lord had smitten him. He realizes it in 20. I've been smitten by God. 21 through the end. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And you might think, how long? Uh, How long was that? And I did a little more research today, and I think, and you can check with the historicity of the kings, especially Uzziah's who followed, maybe 10 or 11 years where he lived like this as a leper. Give or take, you do the math, you do the homework. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived, can you imagine this? Think about what it was like, and think about what it now is like because of prideful sin. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house. Think about his triumph. Now think about the tragedy and the consequences therein. He lived in a separate house, being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, has written. How was he remembered? What kind of legacy did he have? So Uzziah slept with his fathers and they buried him with his fathers in the field of the grave which belonged to the kings. For they said, he is a leper. Summary. Legacy statement. He is a leper. And Jotham, his son, became king in his place. The story of King Uzziah. Triumph and tragedy in the year of King Uzziah's death. Yahweh is strong. Yahweh is my help. I give you a little homework and I'm going to ask you to succinctly, in a word or in a phrase, share what has stood out to you in this Unpopular yet profound chapter about the triumph and tragedy of King Uzziah. Anyone? What verse? What phrase? What concept? What truth stands out to you tonight by means of encouragement for all of us? John has something. In verse five, he sought the Lord. And in verse twenty-one, he was cut off from the house of the Lord. All because of pride. All because of pride. Others? Forgot who he was, the meaning of his name. Forgot who he was, the meaning of his name. Others. He let his anger overtake him, and he missed the opportunity for repentance. Anger, pride, sin overtook, and he missed the opportunity for repentance. I'm sorry. I'm wrong. Being careful when God does great things to you to not take credit for it huge lesson when God does great things for you recognizing actually why that happened not taking the credit for it. you've heard me say before you can bring glory to God or to yourself it's one or the other you can't do both simultaneously whose glory are you living for what else stands out you want to be both priest and king there's only one person who can be both priest and king love that don't you he wanted more, and he was not content with God's plan and God's program and God's purposes and God's promises. Others. I wrote the first part of the verse 16, the one was strong and his heart was lifted up, which I mean, talked a little bit about, but I also wrote down Proverbs 16a and 1 Corinthians 10 12, talking about pride. Yeah. Other the destruction, And he sustains, to keep us he fall. Amen. Any others? I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter five, just for a moment. But any others? As you uh, contemplate what stands out to you in this chapter that we don't often consider, he dismissed the fact that there were rules, that for him, not any, you know, for everybody else there were rules, but for him, there was no rules, and there was a slow fade there, a disconnect somewhere along the way between verse. Was it 17 and 18 or 16 and 17? Yeah. He just loses reality. He was marvelously helped by the Lord until he was strong. I wonder if he knew about David's response to being confronted. Mm -hmm. He must have heard of it somewhere down the road. Think about that. David's response when he was confronted. And the other truth that he knew in light of his upbringing, no doubt. First Peter chapter 5 is a very uh, familiar passage. For our kiddos, for a long, long time, we used to sing to them, pray with them, read scripture to them. And we still do a lot of those things. But back in the day, we had uh, a full-on service every, every night. It got a little out of control. But for Anna Kate, her song, each of the kids had a song for Anna Kate. Her song was, I cast all my cares upon you. I lay all my burdens down at your feet. And any time I don't know just what to do, I cast all my cares upon you. Not too terribly long ago, one of the board members of Legacy Ministry Services, we were sharing on a board call some life verses. Uh, Life verses that that we cling to, that we try to own in the midst of it all. And he said this passage. Verse 6 and 7 of First Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting all your anxieties on him. Casting all your anxiety upon him. Because he cares for you. And when Mark Keller, this board member that I was referencing moments ago, shared that particular verse, he shared a rendering of the verse that I had never heard before. And I thought it was incredibly powerful. And so I texted him and said, could you remind me of, of the, the version of the Bible you used and the rendering of that phrase, because he cares for you. And this is what he sent to me. Let me just read it to you as we close. Hey, John, it's great to hear from you. We're doing well. I hope all is well with you and yours. It's the last clause of 1 Peter 5, 7. Please listen. This is incredible. Usually translated because he cares for you. The original is stronger than that. It's a common Greek idiom that doesn't translate word-for-word word into English. To try that, it sounds like because it is a concern, a care, and interest to him concerning you. It just doesn't translate well at all. So all translations go with something completely different in an English idiom. The New English Bible is one of my favorite modern translations and sadly out of print. But they opted to go in a completely different direction. And in so doing, I think they got closest to the pin. A term for those who like to golf. He's a golfer. I attempt to golf. Closest to the pin on the original idea. It's this. Cast all your cares on him. For you are his charge. Isn't that amazing? For you are his charge. We are his charge. Yahweh is strong. Yahweh helps. And we are Yahweh's and he will take care of us. He's got it and he's got us because we are his charge. May we never lose sight of that. Like Uzziah did. Anything and everything that we are and that we will do is not because of us. We are insufficient and we are inadequate. Our sufficiency and adequacy is from him. We can cast all our cares, acknowledge that we are dependent, stand firm in his divine help, grace, Because he's got us, we are his charge. How to avoid spiritual frostbite. We've seen a case study of someone far gone with that condition. In the morning, on the morrow, we'll consider three prescriptions from the prophet Isaiah to help us avoid spiritual frostbite. Father, we need your help. We have a hard time acknowledging it sometimes, receiving it sometimes. Father, pride is a real struggle from the garden on. And so we pray that we might have the right gaze and perspective and view and understanding of who we are and who we are not. Father, may we think right to live right and help us to embrace the reality that doing life your way is the best way. So help us to obey out of duty and out of delight. Father, I pray that we would be reminded of the fact that we are your charge. You, we are yours and you will take care of us. Providing us adequacy and sufficiency. And so may we may we not lose sight of that utter and complete dependence upon divine enabling tender mercy and sustaining grace this is true grace may we stand in it so help us to humble ourselves to have the right perspective and understanding of our person and in our our position and place in your plan help us to humble ourselves knowing at the right time you will lift us up and in the meantime May we throw every one of our cares and concerns upon you. Because you do care for us. We are your charge. We thank you for these realities. Help us to think about what it looks like to be spiritually frostbit. Help us to be willing to say, I'm sorry, I'm wrong. And help us to be willing to do what we see in Scripture to avoid that condition. Prepare our hearts as we consider that more tomorrow. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.